Mindfulness Mode, Episode 32. I was able to get recentered and become mindful so that I could respond in a way that would get her back on track. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for the great reviews on iTunes. I'm going to read one by Shari T. So happy to have found this gem. I so enjoyed listening to the episodes and journeys of the people interviewed. I learned so much about how to truly make mindfulness a part of everyday life. I'm totally thrilled to have Gretchen Bridgers with me today on the line. Hey, Gretchen, are you in mindfulness mode? Absolutely. Hey, Gretchen, love your enthusiasm. Gretchen Bridgers is a teacher coach. For the past four years, she's been helping new teachers in her school district as part of the New Teacher Project. She has a master's degree in curriculum and supervision and is also an author, having written the book Elementary Education 101, What They Didn't Teach You in College. Gretchen has a blog and weekly podcast called Always a Lesson, which inspires educators across the globe. Gretchen, tell us the most exciting thing in your life right now. What are you working on? Well, I think for me, it's continuing to learn and my passion of education. So whether I've started embarking on this podcast journey and gaining momentum, speaking and engagements for all new teachers, just really trying to stretch myself to become my best. That's great. That's great. So tell us how you're integrating mindfulness into your coaching with teachers. I'm sure a lot of times you have to have quite a bit of patience for this, but tell me how mindfulness plays a a part. Well, when I was a teacher, I wanted my own students to be mindful and they might not understand what that word means. So I would say things like considerate or respectful or appropriately responsive. And it goes from having a mindful intent to actually turning that intent into action. And so obviously, as a teacher, you have to model this behavior first and be consistent with that expectation And I just had it as part of my behavior requirements. And I just created a family feel, and that ended up spilling out into other classes. And those students took it home with their families, and it just transforms a community. So I would pass this knowledge on to new teachers to set up an environment where students are respectful and considerate of each other, thinking before they're acting, and making sure they don't just have nice thoughts, but that they really showcase the best part of themselves because we all have something to contribute and we're not all the same and that is okay. Yes, it is okay, Gretchen, for sure. And it's great to be able to pass that on to our students. So how do you do that if you have one or more students in the class who just don't really get it and maybe they've got some negative influences coming into them? How do you teach them mindfulness and teach them respect? Well, I had a few students who didn't see this at home, and it was undoing all the hard work that we were doing in the classroom during the day. It's hard to break that type of cycle, but again, being consistent with your expectations in the classroom, this is just how we do things. And we also have a character award at school. It happens at the end of each quarter. And so it's something that just keeps the communication going about being 
a respectful or as you're speaking about mindful person. And I think between just every day, no matter if a student slips back into old habits, that they're able to continue to stretch towards their goals of being their best self. And then as a teacher coach, making sure those teachers are consistently following through with students so that everyone can achieve that character award. Do you use quiet time with your students to help them clear the busyness in their brains? Yes, we have a reflection corner. And so if a student is struggling or having an altercation with someone else, we ask that they just stop for a moment. And this lets them take the emotions out of their reaction and they can think through what might be happening. Why is that person upset? Why did they respond to me in that way? And a lot of it is not personal. They may be struggling with something in their own life. So if you stop that emotional reaction, go to that reflection corner, think through an appropriate response and come back and say, I'm ready to now have this conversation and reach a resolution. I think it's a win-win for everyone. Oh, that's great. I'm really glad that you talk with your students about emotions because a lot of students I've found in my experience don't really know what to make of their emotions. And through mindfulness, of course, they can get in touch with their emotions and gain more ability to deal with them. That's for sure. So Gretchen, in your day-to-day life, how do you use mindfulness? Well, I'm a Christian, so I pray often throughout the day It began as having a set time to be mindful or to pray or to think and visualize what you want to happen that day. But I also do this with my new teachers and say, no matter what everyone believes in, I think reflection is a big time where you can grow. So let's think about yesterday and just take some silent solo time to process what happened, set some goals for today, visualize what that looks like, and then you're ready to go in the classroom. And I think it's great before you jump on the phone with a parent just to recenter yourself and make sure that you are taking all of your emotions out and being really calm and collected during that conversation. Great advice, Gretchen. No wonder you're such a fantastic teacher coach. (laughs) (laughs) I like what you said when you referred to silent solo time because it doesn't sound threatening. It doesn't sound like, oh, you know, you're going to need to pray or you're going to need to meditate. Because really that silent solo time, as you call it, gives our, our minds a chance to just clear and to give us a chance to feel calm and in control and and like you said recenter yourself so mm-hmm. yeah that's that's terrific it's great that you're helping new teachers with this i want to know what you think about suggesting how to keep this silent solo time in our lives i mean we know it's a good idea to do it but how do we discipline ourselves to keep that as part of our life on a regular basis Well, you have to develop that habit. So like I was saying as a classroom teacher, it's about consistency. I can't sit you down and have this wonderful conversation for five minutes about being mindful and never bring it up again. It has to be part of everything that we do in the classroom. And even personally, I mean, think about going to the gym. If you go every day, it just becomes part of what you do. But once you stop, every day gets harder to go back to the gym. And same thing with being mindful. You don't want to allow yourself that break because it's really hard to get back into it. So figure out a time of day that works for you, whether it's the morning, maybe a midday break or right before you go to sleep and dedicate maybe a minute a day 
when you feel like you have really utilized that minute to the best of its ability, then maybe we expand it to two or three minutes. And before you know it, maybe five minutes a day or 20 minutes a day, whatever you feel like is really helpful, it just becomes part of who you are and what you do. And I think that's what a habit is, is making sure it's consistent in your daily life. Right. Yes. Good words of advice, Gretchen. I'm wondering when this became a real genuine part of your life. I mean, as children, if we grow up as Christians, we experience prayer. But when did you start really using prayer in your life in a kind of mindful sort of way, and it became something that really helped you? Well, I have read a book called Crucial Conversations. And as a leader, in the classroom, I didn't have this much often, but once I traveled outside the classroom and began leading professional development sessions for my teachers, I realized there were times where I had to come across a sticky situation and prepare myself for that conversation. So in that preparation, in that reflection, in that mindfulness, I was able to really gather my thoughts, have a clear vision or focus of what I wanted. I knew the result that I was hoping to get throughout the conversation. And I was able to be emotionally neutral because I wasn't attacking them. How they responded, I knew was not personal. They might have just been emotional themselves about something else. And I truly feel that that has been very helpful in my own life professionally and personally. I think you're right. I think that when I think back to some of the challenges I've had in my life or stresses or anxiety, I can also think to myself, gee, I was not being emotionally neutral at those times. Mm -hmm. So can you expand on that for our listeners? Can you share with Mindful Tribe about how we get to that point of being able to be emotionally neutral? So if you're receiving feedback, and this is what a coach does, I watch you teach, and then I pause you and I give you a critique, and then I want you to jump right back into practice. And so when I use a rubric, and I say, based on this rubric, you are ineffective because... XYZ, that comes off better than that wasn't good what you did right there. That's more of a personal attack. And that makes them defensive. They're not able to process what you're saying. They can't even think of jumping back into practice. And so our relationship is no longer productive. But when I use the rubric, which is emotionally neutral language, they then see that I'm critiquing the behavior, not the person. And that allows them to hear what I'm saying and then try it a new way. And because that repractice comes so quickly after, they feel success and they've forgotten that they even got critiqued. They just feel that accomplishment. Wow, that's excellent. So how do you use this in your own life? If you were, if you were driving and suddenly somebody cut you off in traffic, how <laughs> would you be emotionally neutral? Well, thankfully, I've had lots of experience working with different types of people. And I think that's what is great. The older we get, we get some more life experience. And I have realized a lot of angry people are not even angry at me. They are angry about something else and they just choose to take it out on me. And so I can control my response and say, I don't know what they're going through, but I know my action didn't warrant that type of emotion. Therefore, I know there is something else going on. So when I respond, I'm going to talk about just the facts or I'm just going to brush it off and realize that this is not going to be productive either way. And it's hard sometimes when you are in traffic, you know, and you start getting very frustrated. But then you think, 
it is what it is. If I start getting angry right now, that doesn't make the car in front of me move any faster. So I have the choice to just sit back and think about something else. And so for me, it's called redirection. So instead of responding, I think about something else that makes me happy. And then now my mind is no longer bothered. It's productively thinking about that happy thought. And then I just deal with the problem without that emotion. So redirection is almost like having an affirmation, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's excellent. I really like your way of looking at things because it just makes a huge difference the way you look at things, doesn't it? Yeah, your perspective or your lens really. And as a new teacher coach, I remember being a new teacher. So if I come in and say, you need to be at the level that I'm teaching at is unfair. So I have the perspective of I've been in your shoes. I know what it's like. And so as a parent, and I'm sure you felt this too, you know, they're able to really look at a child and say, I remember what that struggle was like to tie my shoes or what have you. So I need to be mindful and not frustrated that it's taking you 20 minutes to tie your shoes. I'm trying to go to this appointment. The car's already on, like, hurry, hurry, hurry. And it's like, nope, let's, let's look at it with a new perspective, a fresh lens. This is hard for them. This is a skill they're gaining. I remember what that is like. And then suddenly that frustration releases. Gee, Gretchen, I wish some of my son's teachers had had you as a coach. (laughs) And I mean, he had some great teachers, don't get me wrong, but you really are a rocking coach. I can tell that. Thinking back, Gretchen, did you ever have challenges with this whole idea of mindfulness? Well, for me, it took a long time to develop my own self-control with being mindful. I worked in Title I schools for many years, and that just means these students require some additional services like free reduced breakfast and such. And I think they bring a lot of their own troubles to school. And so there was a lot more behavior problems in this type of environment. And so so school starts at 7.15 in the morning, and by 7.16, I was already roaring because something just happened. But again, I have all day with these kids, so if I'm allowing myself to get frustrated already, that is just going to ruin the rest of the day. You know, my energy, my enthusiasm, my way of helping children is now ruined, but I am in control if I allow that to happen. So I would take a moment to step aside whether I went outside the classroom and just took a breath or I walked back in and had them do a quick journal entry, anything that gained me an extra minute to compose myself and remember that my job is to instill knowledge. And if I'm emotional right now and I'm angry or frustrated at a child, I am not my best self and I need to get it together and get it together fast. And so during that reflection time, I can think about the type of teacher I want to be, and whether it's visualizing that or just saying it as a mantra, you calm yourself down and you're able to jump back in. And I think that that is, again, a habit I had to create until it just stopped happening. I didn't have to take those mini breaks. But I want everyone that's listening today to know that this is a journey. You can't just immediately be mindful like Gandhi and never get frustrated. It is a process but it's also a daily choice. Yes, it really is. And those are great words of advice as well. Gretchen, I've worked in bullying prevention for over a decade. I'm wondering if you have a story about a bullying situation you can share with us that may have involved mindfulness. 
Yeah, so it's not one of my students, but it's my favorite book to read with children. And it's by Lewis Satcher. It's called There's a Boy in the Girl's Bathroom. I know that's a funny title. And yes, that does happen in the book. But it is about a student that is struggling with their identity in terms of where do they fit in to this society. They are different. They're unique. They are not forward thinking, so they don't have plans for the future. They really don't know that they need love and they're not sure how to ask for it. And so it's about this bully that manipulates lots of people until he comes into contact with a counselor who really sits with him and gets to know him as a person. And every response she has is neutral. She is mindful to the T and she was able to change him well, I really shouldn't say change because it was always in him, but she was able to help him express what he needed and really try his best and become his full potential. So I think that although he was the star of the book, she really hit it home for me. Well, it sounds like a real good coaching book, really. Yes, absolutely. Gretchen, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? So I would even say that author I was just speaking about. I think the fact that he is using the message of mindfulness, but in a fun story for children, is another way to just get your message out to how to be a better person and your best self. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Just not taking things personally, realizing that people have what my father calls head trash or previous tapes. They are taking things out on you that have nothing to do with you at all. Gretchen, tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. So not so much breathing, but listen, pause, and respond. And so that pause could be a breath, but it's that reflection, that gathering of thoughts to remain neutral. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would it be? So we chatted about this a little bit earlier in the conversation. It's called Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. Absolutely, if you work with other people, you need to read this book to learn how to get your message across in a way that they're going to receive it and have productive results for everyone. Can you share an app which helps you be more mindful? Well, Facebook has been great for me because there are groups There's one I'm part of called Encouraging Teachers, and it's a way to just in the midst of the craziness to find helpful, happy people to get you through the day when you cannot motivate yourself. What advice would you give a person who is new to the idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? I want you to reflect daily on how you could have handled anything that occurred differently Or just take some actionable steps so you are growing and getting better each day. And hold yourself accountable for just growing and not being perfect. Great advice. Gretchen, thinking back to all the coaching you've done with teachers, is there a situation you can share with us where you really were glad that you had these concepts and abilities to think about mindfulness? Yes, I had a teacher who was not applying my feedback and it was getting frustrating to me to keep saying the same thing over and over again until I just asked, how are you doing today? 
And because of that one question, she shared all that had been going on in her life that really derailed her focus on teaching. And it made so much more sense to me as to why she was hitting a brick wall and not applying my feedback. So without that personal connection, without that question, that information I would have never known and I would have remained frustrated. But because she shared that with me, I was able to get recentered and become mindful so that I could respond in a way that would get her back on track. And would you recommend a teacher do that sort of thing with a student who is not responding? Absolutely. I've come across so many students that I just can't get through to. And I think that is my problem, that my strategies aren't working. But what's really happening is I'm not understanding the child to the fullest. And so even if I just walk with them to lunch and have a normal conversation, take away the teacher role, take away the student role, get to know them as people, it will unlock so many answers for you. Great advice. Now, Gretchen, some of our listeners right now are not teachers, but many of us are parents. How can we apply that as a parent to our own children? Because it's hard to separate ourselves from being a parent and, you know, kind of like, oh, I want to talk to you, but not as a dad. How can I do that? Yeah, just ask questions. I think the best thing you can do is have a conversation every day. So that's a habit. And the more you get to know who your child is becoming as their self, the more you understand their rationales for their behavior. And a lot of times parents are frustrated because their child is different or operates in a way that is not the same as they are. So being able to just get to know who are they developing, what was their reason for something, what are they thinking about, this really helps you understand who they are and you're no longer frustrated that they don't respond in the way you want them to. And then you can also find a gap of what you need to teach so that they can handle situations better. I liked what you said about, you know, we we see our child as someone who has, you know, who is different or is acting different and we wish they were not. What special advice would you give to a teacher or a parent with a special needs child? So I would say the best thing you can do for your special needs child is to be their advocate. So you know them best by being home with them, but you also aren't in the classroom. So get with the teacher, see what might be frustrating them. A lot of times special needs students have stimulus that is really setting them off. So I had a child that needed something to kick their feet into to keep their focus, But if I hadn't been problem solving, this child's getting so agitated. What is happening? Let me call the mom. The mom says, well, I make sure she has uh, exercise balls that she can, you know, play with or kick or, you know, do whatever with. It really helped me problem solve in the classroom. So I think you need to make a team and figure out what might be happening, what works at home. How can I make that happen in the classroom so that this child is successful? Great advice. Gretchen, it has been fantastic to spend this time talking with you today about mindfulness and how you use it in your coaching and in your personal life. Gretchen, I know you have a podcast. Tell us a little bit more about your podcast. Sure. So my blog and website is Always a Lesson, and my podcast is Always a Lesson, Empowering Educators podcast. And so I know the frustrations that teachers go through throughout their career because I have felt them. And as a new teacher coach, I see it every day. And I didn't want to keep my advice to just the 20 students 
or the 20 teachers that I'm working with. I wanted to be able to help as many people as possible. So I turned my blog into this podcast and you can see it every Monday. I release a new episode to really remind you how awesome it is that you're a teacher and that even though there's all these other things going on that are infecting your performance or your mindset, I just want to pour into you for a moment and empower you to go be your best. Excellent. Gretchen, this has been really terrific. Thanks so much for all your advice. How do we contact you or learn more about what you do? Yeah, head over to my website, alwaysalesson.com. I have all my social media handles there, and we can continue a conversation. Perfect. Well, you have a great day. Thanks again, Gretchen. Thanks. Okay, bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. In appreciation, I'll mention you at the top of an upcoming show. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.